you so much for joining us this week at Zion City Church with teachings from Pastor Andrew Rael. We believe that God still speaks through His Word and His people. So right now, lean in and listen to the Holy Spirit. We hope that this message encourages you, inspires you, and brings you into a deeper love and worship of Jesus. Thanks for listening, and thanks for being a part of Zion City Church. living into a story that was begun at the creation of all things. Reaching into the moment you find yourselves here today and living well beyond the story of our lives. Today, all around the world, people are gathered to celebrate a story that has shaped human history for millennia. Today, in every language, in different ways, in, in different places, from a small house church in Indonesia to a metal building on Highway 47, millions of people are gathered to proclaim one message. Christ the Lord has risen today. Amen. Welcome to Zion City Church and welcome to our Easter service. If it is your first time here, Thank you for choosing to spend your morning with us. If you call Zion your home, welcome back. I realized this morning that every single person in the room finds himself in a different place on the journey of faith. From skeptic to wholehearted follower of Jesus. And wherever it is you find yourself, I just want you to know that you are welcome here. And it is our joy to walk with you on your way to following Jesus. And today, we celebrate the story of Easter. Now, for some, Easter is the greatest story ever told. God come down to earth as a human, lived the life we were meant to live, died the death we were meant to die, and three days later rose from the grave so that we can share the life that he has. For others, Easter is a time where well-meaning but delusional people get dressed up for some reason in pastel outfits, and celebrate the tomb of a homeless Jewish rabbi from 2,000 years ago. Wherever it is that you find yourself on the spectrum of the story of Easter, know this. Jesus meets you right where you are today. And Easter is a story we're all familiar with, at least for the most part. In a lot of ways, its familiarity to us has become common. But hear me in this. Easter is anything but common. How many people do you know have risen from the grave? Exactly. Easter is not very common. But what happens is we've lost our sense of wonder when it has come to Easter. And this is the disposition of the human heart to easily lose sight of things that we once found wonderful and beautiful. And so here's what we need this morning. What we need this morning is not a familiar story. What we need is a fresh encounter. And this is my endeavor this morning if you let me is to do my very best to reclaim the wonder of the story of Easter. Are you in? Yeah. Let's do it. So, the year is 1936. I wasn't there, but that was the year. And cinema is about to be changed forever with the very famous movie, The Wizard of Oz. Although contrary to popular opinion, this is actually not the first film in color. 
But it was one of the very first films that kind of mastered the skill and the technology of what's called Technicolor, which was how they shot film and color in those days. And this movie would shape cinema history and technological history for years and years to come. Now, spoiler alert about the film. It's been 83 years. If you haven't seen it by now, I don't know what to tell you, okay? But there's a scene where a, a tornado has taken place and it's lifted Dorothy's house up, which the physics beyond that, we're not gonna get beyond that. But anyways, and her house comes crashing down perfectly intact, again, not getting into the physics of all that. And after she's crashed, the whole film up until this point has been shot in a filter called sepia, which makes things seem gloom and dull and dusty and dark. And it's just not very attractive. It looks sad. And, and, and Dorothy in the story, you kinda, she's embodying how the film was being shot with this kind of filter on it. But suddenly, when the house lands in Oz and Dorothy steps out, she's plunged into a world of technicolor that everything around her is vibrant and beautiful and wonderful. And she makes, quotes that very famous line, we're not in Kansas anymore, Toto, right? Toto, we're not in Kansas anymore. And she realizes she's been brought into, birthed into a brand new world filled with awe and wonder. Her life, once filled with sepia-toned sadness, is now filled with technicolor wonder. And you might be wondering, what on earth does the Wizard of Oz have to do with Easter? And it has everything to do with Easter. Easter is a plunge into a whole new world filled with opportunity and beauty. Easter is an echo of hope to reverberate into the hearts of those who feel defeated. Easter is a beacon of light shining as a declaration to the darkness that its time is over. Easter is the reality of a future filled with life crashing into a world filled with despair through the portal of a resurrected Jesus. Easter is the moment where Jesus kicked open the door of new life, reclaiming wonder from a world settled in her cynicism. Easter is the story that changed everything. And hear me in this. The stories we believe shape the futures we live into. The stories we believe shape the futures we live into. What we believe about who we are, where we're going, and what all of this means shapes how we live every single day. And so I have a simple question to lay before you this morning, and it's this. Is the story that you believe true enough to take you where you want to go? Is the story you believe true enough to take you where you want to go. Now, maybe you've come through this morning, you come here this morning searching. You don't normally come to church or you haven't been coming to church in a long time because if you're honest, you found some better things to do. Sunday brunch is just super killer. For some reason, when the alarm goes off, no thanks, I'd rather sleep, right? Whatever it is, there's a variety of reasons for why you haven't been coming. And maybe today, it's more about tradition for you than anything. Like it's Easter, right? This is the one day I gotta get out, I gotta get to church, I gotta be there. Why? It's Easter, it's what we do, right? Or maybe you got the call from grandma on Saturday night saying you better get your butt to church, boy, right? Whatever it was. And so you feel that you've come here maybe out of obligation, maybe at risk of your own life, right? Not going at what grandma will do when she finds you, whatever it is. But I have a suspicion that deep down you showed up today not because someone dragged you or because you got threat of violence on your life, but because you felt compelled. Because somewhere deep down, you longed for a different story. 
The story you have been living into has not been enough. And maybe you've done this Easter thing before. You walked into a service like this. There was a talk, some songs, and people seemed generally happy. But you were looking for something more. And so every single Easter you come with a little bit of expectancy, a little bit of longing for something more. And if you're honest, every Easter you leave a little disappointed. Because that longing that you had, that little inclination for something more, was not fulfilled. Maybe for months you have been trying your very best and it hasn't been working out. All the things you thought were going to make you happy aren't. And you find yourself disillusioned. You're doing everything you ever wanted and you should be happy, but you're not. And something is still missing in your life. Or maybe, for you, today is business as usual. You know the story, you know the songs, and it all feels a little bit like Groundhog Day. Repeat, repeat, repeat. Easter used to fill your heart with wonder and excitement. Not for the colored eggs or for the big lunch after, but because you got caught up in the story of Jesus. But lately, your heart's grown cold. You still believe in God. You still want to honor him, but that which used to leave you filled with awe and wonder has grown dull. Each of us this morning are desiring an encounter. Not a clever talk, not good music, not nice coffee. You want to experience something today. You want to encounter the risen Jesus. And I believe in faith that that's going to happen today. But before we get there, I need to address something first. Typically, someone like me stands up here and tells you the story, and the posture that they try to take is try to convince you that the resurrection is true. They try to go through all these facts and figures and the Roman guards and pulling up historical documents and data and stuff like that, but here's the thing. We think we are logical creatures, but here's the reality. We're not. We are emotional creatures. We are sometimes logical, but mostly emotional. Let me explain. You know the value of a green smoothie, right? You know its value, nutritional value, necessary vitamins, caloric intake, all of that stuff. But you show up to work on Monday morning and Lisa from accounting brought a big box of donuts. You know intrinsically the value of a green smoothie, but that one is covered in chocolate, right? And so knowledge can be stored up in your heart and you can know all the knowledge of caloric intake, but man, that looks so good, and yesterday was hard, and I've been good on this diet, and whatever it is, right? And so emotional decision drove you, and there you are, three donuts deep somehow in shame, right? Speaking, we're never going to speak of this again. We think we're logical creatures. Oh, if I just calculate the amount of calories here, I would never do No, psych, you would. And chocolate on your face and on your fingers, you're caught chocolate-handed, right? Antonio Damasio says this, he's a psychologist, he says, we are not necessarily thinking machines, we are feeling machines that think. And there is study after study after study that shows information does not change people. You know what does? Stories. Why? Because they move to the heart. This is why cinema, art, music move you like facts and figures could never. Because we are narrative creatures. We long for story. And that is the path into our heart, is the way of narrative. And so for us to reclaim wonder here this morning, 
we have to journey through the way of the heart. So today, I'm not going to give you information about why Jesus would have rose from the grave, facts and figures. And look, that information is available and out to you there in the world. Just Google it. Today, I want to take the posture of telling you a story. That the way we get from a place of longing for encounter to an encounter with Jesus that leaves us in wonder is through stories. And today, we're going to look at Mary's story. Our text begins with this. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. And as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated there where Jesus' body had been, one on the head and one at the foot. And they asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. Today, all of us come dressed up, buttoned up shirts, shoes that hurt way too much, and are all planning on gorging our face somewhat later, right? Later on in the day, you're already thinking about the lunch meal you're going to have. And this is our Easter morning, but this was not the first Easter morning. The first Easter morning began with sorrow. You see, 48 hours before this, hearts were crushed as Jesus was murdered on the cross. And with his body went into the grave, so did the hopes of people. The one they looked to as Messiah, King, the one who would be the one to set them free from oppression and pain and hurt. They saw him breathe his last breath. And they saw the soldiers bury him in a tomb. And as the door shut, so shut the door to their dreams and hopes and wishes. You see, just a week earlier, Jesus entered with, into Jerusalem. And there were people sh shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, which means God save us. And it felt as if the new kingdom was coming. No more oppression, no more disease, no more suffering. God has saved us. Jesus is here. And seven days later, the streets are silent. And Mary, one of Jesus' followers, makes her way to the tomb. Burial spices in hand, broken. You see, for Mary, this was her final goodbye. This was her last gift of love to Jesus. But as she arrives, she notices something is not right. Let's jump up to verse 1. It says this, Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from its entrance. She came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one who Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him, went straight into the tomb, and he saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went aside, and he saw and believed. They did not understand from the scripture that Jesus had risen from the grave, from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. So Mary shows up, and the tomb is empty. She freaks out. She runs to Peter and to John, who refers to himself as the other disciple, the one who Jesus loved. Now, what I love here is that John's humanity comes to the text in that, one, he makes note that he beat Peter to the tomb. He's like, and I smoked him. I got there way first. And he's like, and some other time later, way after Peter caught his breath, way after I had beat him, he shows up, and then we both look into the tomb, right? 
and it's just Don taking a little dig at Peter, like, dude, smoked you in that race, right? When Jesus' body was gone, I was there first. Remember that, Lord. But Mary shows up, and she's freaked out. Notice, none of the disciples are thinking, ah, oh, he has risen, just like he said. They're all thinking, who jacked his body? Where did it go, right? They said, we don't know where they put it. They're looking all over the bushes, the leaves, the trees, wherever. Where did they put Jesus' body? And this is also the disciples' conclusion. His body has been stolen. Nobody was thinking, ah, Jesus the Christ has risen today. Thank you, Lord. They're all worrying and freaking out. And this is where Mary finds herself. A bad situation has grown worse. Not only have they killed Jesus, but they've stolen his body. And she doesn't even get the opportunity to pay her final respects, to give her final love, to give Jesus a proper funeral. For Mary in this moment, there is no closure. There is no goodbye. There's just more loss. And she's asked the question, why are you crying? As Mary looks into the tomb, what seemed uh, like a heart that couldn't be broken anymore begins to splinter more. How could this be? Now notice, the text tells us there are two angels or messengers sitting where Jesus' body were. Now, with our Western understanding of angels, we think of them like glowing white, halo, big old wings, right? So if you showed up to a tomb and there were two angels there, something would be up, right? You would be like that. But this is not the biblical description of angels, and it's really important that you understand that. That's more from like other modern literature. Angels, all throughout the scriptures, look like people. This is why all the time they're getting mistaken for people. And this is why Mary is not like, ah, Christ the Lord has risen today. There's just two dudes chilling in a tomb. Okay? And she's like, what are you doing here? They're like, why are you crying? Right? And so this is what's happening in Mary's world. So Mary is not like in trauma and shock and disillusioned, right? Though she is part of that. But she sees there's two people in the tomb and she wants to know, where have you put Jesus? They look just like two regular people to her. And so the Bible never describes angels with wings or halos. Every description it have is that they look like humans, just way more impressive. The thing that you're thinking of with the wings and all that other stuff is seraphim or cherubim. And we're not going to get into that tonight. That's a whole thing. Or to this morning, that's a whole other ballgame. But they ask her a simple question, and it's this. Why are you crying? You see, Mary's story is one filled with heartache, hope, and heartache again. When we find Mary in the scriptures, we see that she is oppressed by seven demons. Not one, not two, but seven demons. And her life is in shambles, as you could only imagine. And Mary knows what it's like to lose everything. To have her family turn on her, to have people ridicule and judge her, what were you doing that you invited seven demons into your life? To be an outcast from society, to have no friends, to have nothing. To be looking for hope and answers and clarity and for this, for this oppression to go away and to find nothing. You see, Mary knew the pain of losing people she loved, feeling helpless, and feeling alone. But then... Jesus stepped into her story. And all her life, she had been overlooked, dismissed, and pushed to the side. But when Jesus sees her, he sees who she really was supposed to be. And he speaks over her life, and the demons flee. Mary has clarity of mind, 
and a life that was abandoned to pain and hopelessness finds hope again. When everyone overlooked Mary, Jesus saw her. For the first time in her life, she belonged. Not only did Jesus see her and heal her, but he included her. He welcomed her, welcomed her into his, his, his discipleship cohort. He welcomed her into following after him. And for the first time in her life, she belonged. She was seen. She was loved. Then just as things were going amazing, in a moment, it was all taken from her. This shows us what Jesus is like, that he sees the forgotten by others, and he loves the ones who feel unworthy of love. And on that Friday, she would never forget, as she looked in the eyes of the one who loved her, and the light behind them went out. Mary lost everything. And to make it worse, she couldn't even say goodbye. Maybe you relate to Mary. Maybe you have walked through these doors not rejoicing but hurting. Maybe for you life has been hard and lately it's been harder than usual. Maybe you too know what it feels like to lose something you love. Maybe this year you buried somebody you loved and today you feel the sting of their absence. Maybe this year you lost a relationship. Somebody who was a huge part of your life has now become a stranger. Maybe you have come carrying with you the weight of your world. Stress, anxiety, depression are all crippling you at every corner, and you don't know much how much longer this can go on. Maybe you walk through these doors this morning with the ache of losing someone that you have loved. Maybe you have come this morning realizing that the story that you're currently living does not have the power to take you where you want to go. Maybe you feel like Mary this morning with your hopes and dreams and pieces in your hands. The story goes on. At this, she turned and saw Jesus there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, said, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will get him. Suddenly, there's another person in the mix here other than these two dudes chilling in the tomb and Mary herself looking on at it. And it's Jesus who asks her the question, why are you crying and who is it you're looking for? First, why are you crying? Now, is Jesus oblivious? Is he dense to why he, she's crying? Well, Mary, what's wrong? Why are you crying? He knows why she's crying, okay? This is not a news flash to Jesus. What he's trying to get her to do is to turn around and see him. Her eyes are only focused on the empty tomb, She's not looking to the voice that calls her. Because later in the text, it tells us that she turns around and realizes it's Jesus. But she just hears a voice in the background saying, why are you crying? And she's like, this dang gardener. Where have you put him, right? Just tell me where he is so I could find him. That's who she thinks that Jesus is. And the second question he asked her, right, is who are you looking for? So first, Jesus asked her this question of why are you crying? Because he wants him to realize who he is. Soon, and very soon, she would realize that wonderful truth. That's this. Death does not get the final word. And Jesus wants Mary to see that now is not a time for sorrow or for mourning, but it's actually a time for dancing and joy. That right now is actually a moment filled with wonder. To behold what God has done. Now, the second question is this. Who are you looking for? Again, Jesus knows why she's at his grave. 
And he knows who she's looking for. She's looking for him. But again, he wants her to realize that it's him who calls her. He wants her to behold him in his resurrected state. He wants her to behold the one who loves her. Behold the one who had laid down his life. Behold the lamb who takes away the sins of the world. Behold the king who has conquered death. Behold the one who was and is and is to come. Behold, it is Jesus. And he wants her to see him. Now, I love that the text says that it was Jesus all along standing there. Maybe in your life you've been searching, searching for something to make your life whole. And maybe this question is a word for you today. Who are you looking for? Maybe you thought joy and fulfillment in life would come from a really awesome career. But no matter how many pay raises or promotions you get, the longing is still there. Maybe for you, you thought it was going to be made whole by a new relationship. Because, man, they're so awesome and they're so great and they're this, that, and whatever. But as time goes on, the wonder of the relationship fades and you realize they are not strong enough to hold your expectations. Maybe for you, you thought you'd be made whole by wealth. If we could just have a little bit more. Those Teslas are so, so nice, right? If we could just have these things, but you're surrounded by things and you still feel lonely. Maybe in all these things, you weren't looking for a what, but you were looking for a who, and it was Jesus. Bruce Marshall says this, the young man who rings the, door, rings the bell at a brothel is unconsciously looking for God. There is this pursuit that each of us go down, looking for something more to satisfy the longings in our heart, and it's found in Jesus. And the question for you this morning is, who are you looking for? I'll tell you, behold the man, Jesus. Now, maybe you're thinking, this sounds nice, Andrew, but you don't know me, man. You don't know where I've been. You don't know the things that I've done. You don't know the things that I said to the driver who cut me off on the way in here this morning. God could never use me. I'm too broken. I've lost too much. I've turned away too many times. I should have responded 20 Easter's ago, but here I find myself today. Jesus, hear this, reveals his resurrected body, not to his closest disciples in Peter, James, and John, not to the religious leaders, not to the people who crucified him, which if I had the opportunity to rise from the grave and there are people who murdered me, I would absolutely show myself to the people who murdered me. Thought you got me, you didn't, right? That would be me. I got problems, pray for me. But Jesus shows himself to Mary to a woman with a, a painful past. And to be honest, when you've had seven demons, people have a hard time hearing what you have to say. But it is into her hands that he gives the first uh, opportunity to preach the gospel. It is into this woman's hands that he reveals his resurrected form first, before anyone. It's Mary. God uses broken and bent tools to build his kingdom. You may think, I'm this, I'm that. Jesus knows and wants to use you anyways. That resurrected life means whatever it is that's in your story that brings you pain goes into the grave with him. And what comes out is brand new life. And this is available to you today because he's alive. The story goes on. Jesus said to her, Mary, and she turned towards him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me, 
for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am sending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told him that he said these things to her. So first thing I want you to notice, he calls Mary by her name. This is what gets her to turn around and realize it's Jesus. At first, she didn't recognize his voice, but upon saying her name, she realized it was him and turned with joy and gladness to see the risen Christ. God knows your name. God knows your story. God knows where you've been. God knows the tears you've cried. God knows the hurt that you've carried, and God sees you today. And hear this, he calls you by name. In a world where it's easy to be forgotten and pushed to the fringes, Jesus sees you and he calls you by your name. He speaks to who you actually are, your real identity, not the things that others have said about you, but who he says that you are. Now notice, the story of Easter is not, well, we just have to find a way to move forward without Jesus. And the story of Easter is not, well, we just hope one day that all this gets figured out. The story of Easter is that Jesus meets us right in the middle of our garden of sorrow. The story of Easter is not just some future thing. One day we all hope, pray, you know, the world ends soon or whatever. So we get to that point then. No, resurrection life means right now. Resurrection life means that we celebrate today, not because of something that happened 2,000 years ago. We celebrate today, not because of the hope of the resurrection we have in the future. Those, those things are true. We celebrate today because resurrected life is breaking through right now. That when Jesus rose from the grave, it was the first fruits, the first signs of the kingdom that is coming. Here's a misunderstanding that we have. Many of us, the stories that we believe is this. If I'm a good person, if I just believe all the right things that Jesus is God and he died on the cross, you know, the whole shebang, that one day I'll get to heaven and then safe. Missed it. Barely. But we made it, right? That's That's like the hope that we tell people. The only problem with this is the Bible. The only problem with this is the scriptures. That nowhere did Jesus just say, hey guys, hang tight, things are really crappy, I know, but one day it'll all be better. You know, good luck till then. Absolutely not. The meta narrative of the scriptures is this it begins in the garden where heaven and earth were once reunited, were once one place. And because of sin, heaven and earth were split apart. And God, from the very beginning, has initiated a plan to bring heaven and earth again, back together again, through his son, Jesus. And when Jesus rose from the grave, that was the first sign of the inbreaking kingdom, that the kingdom of, kingdom of God is here now. Fulfilling the very prayer of Jesus that he teaches us to pray, let your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The fulfillment of the scriptures is not just going to heaven one day when you die, but it's actually heaven coming down in the person of Jesus. And that heaven is spreading through the kingdom as God is infecting the hearts of people and he becomes the kingdom in their hearts. Is this not what Jesus says, that we become the temples that dwell his spirit? And that is the church. And this is the resurrection story. It's not that we just hold on until one day things get better, though we will be with Jesus when we die, but it's that Jesus is here now, moving, breathing, speaking. When Jesus leaves his disciples, do you know what he tells them? It's going to be a total bummer when I'm gone. No, he says, it's better that I leave. Why? That I may send the Spirit. This is the promise of Jesus, and we're living in that promise now. 
But so often we're just, oh, it's so hard, you know, or whatever it is, not realizing the power that's available to us. And that Easter just becomes, you know, oh, one day, Lord, it's going to be better. Lord, Lord, Jesus is like, I'm doing something now. Yes, there's a future to look, to look forward to, but the kingdom is breaking in now. And guess what? I want you to be a part of it. I want you to join me in the work that I'm doing. The promise of Easter is that heaven and earth are going to be reconciled again and are being reconciled again in Jesus. This brings us back to the Wizard of Oz. <laughs> when I think about Easter, I try to think of something that encapsulates what it's like to experience resurrected life. And those words came to mind, technicolor wonder. And this is what I've entitled the sermon today. It is about us realizing that the world we see today is only a part of the story, but a new world has come in Jesus and is breaking in by way of his spirit, filling people with wonder. Easter means that Jesus is alive and well, moving, speaking, healing, and remaking the earth. Easter means that Jesus is loose on the world, overthrowing darkness and bringing light and life. Philip Yancey says this, In many respects, I find an unresurrected Jesus easier to accept. Easter makes him dangerous. Because of Easter, I have to listen to his extravagant claims and can no longer pick and choose from his sayings. Easter means he must be out there somewhere. I never know where Jesus might turn up, how he might speak to me, and what he may ask of me. Brothers and sisters, I stand to you here on Easter morning, and I have no need to tell you of how broken the world is, for you know it, for you experience it in everyday life. And too often I see the church with her hands closed saying, well, I wish there was just something more we could do. And this is not the narrative of the scriptures. Because Jesus is alive, this changes everything. Because Jesus is alive, it no longer means that we can just sit on the sidelines and hope for a better future, but that God is calling us into our worlds to carry with us the presence of God to meet people right where they are today. This Easter, I want something to be different. I don't want this to be the same old song and dance where you do the same thing over and over again. I'm asking that this year you let your eyes be filled with wonder again about the man who lives, about the man who conquered death, about a man who defeated the grave. And what are we to do with this incredible message? Jesus tells Mary, go and tell. We are gathered today in unison, in agreement with millions of people around the world who speak all sorts of different languages, who look all different, who, who are meeting in different places and spaces, and we all proclaim one unified message. He has risen. And that because he lives, guess what that means? We live. Because he has life, we have life. We proclaim that Jesus has defeated sin, death, hell, and the enemy forever when we are walking in his victory. And that we proclaim here on Easter morning and every place that we go into, death does not get the final word. He does. And he promises resurrected life. 
So we're going to land this plane now and get you to that Easter lunch that you've been so looking forward to. But here at Zion, we're not people who just hear the word and do nothing. We are people who hear the word and respond. We don't just hear the word, clap our hands, and say, oh, good sermon, thank you, have a nice day. But when God is speaking through his word, we allow it to do the work it's meant to do in us, as it says in Isaiah 55. And so, if this is speaking to you in any way, we want to stand with you in prayer. We want to stand alongside the things that God is doing in you. And so I'm going to have a, a prayer team available up here, and they're here for you. They're here to serve you. They're here to stand alongside you. And so if God is meeting you where you are today with this message and is calling you into new life, we would love to pray with you. If you've been following Jesus for a long time, but today he is stirring your heart anew, we want to pray with you. And if you have brought the pain of your world with you today, we want to pray with you. And I want to leave you with the words of Jesus in Matthew 11. Would you stand with me? Jesus says this. He says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Brothers and sisters, let us enter into a time of response. To see all the new content coming from Zion City, follow us on Instagram or like us on Facebook. And to partner with us financially, visit our website at zioncitychurch.net.